Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. I want to thank you, my wonderful audience, for being here. Millions and millions of us meet at this national town hall meeting five days a week for almost twenty years, and that's thanks to you. And I want to thank you very, very much. It is my goal. As one of my great mentors told me, Rush Limbaugh, to always treat my audience with respect. Always treat my audience with respect. And so when I have an opinion, I give an opinion right on the microphone. Some people don't like it. Some people are offended. That's the way it goes. Happens to me all the time. I don't say one thing to you and then squirrel around your back and say something to somebody else. Ever. I can put my left hand on a Bible and my right hand in the air and swear to God that I have never leaked to the New York Times, Washington Post, or any other organization. If I have something to say, I say it to you. That's called integrity. Over at the New York Times, which has no integrity, for over 100 years it hasn't had any integrity, The title is, Trump Organization and Top Executive are Indicted in Tax Investigation. The former president's family business and its chief financial officer, Alan Weiselberg, are expected to appear in court. They did. This article is written by three press people. You know, 30, 40 years ago, it would take one reporter. Three. Michael Rothfeld, Jonah E. Bromwich, and Ben Protest. Prosecutors in Manhattan DA's office have been examining bonuses and luxury perks 
that Mr. Weisselberg received, including an apartment in Manhattan, leased Mercedes-Benz cars, and private school tuition for at least one of his children. So he's gotten some perks, but he's really earned them. That is an apartment in Manhattan, these leased Mercedes-Benz, and one of his grandchildren going to private school. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you don't typically criminally indict an individual for this, let alone the corporation itself that has absolutely nothing to do with it. Think about the people on television. Think about people who write for the Washington Post and the New York Times. Think about people in Hollywood, entertainers and so forth. Think about sports figures and sports broadcasters and even other broadcasters. How many times do they pay taxes on the use of a car or a car service? How many times do they pay taxes on that? Or any other luxury perks that they receive? So typically it's a civil matter that involves penalties and interest and a slap on the wrist and don't do it again. And after five years of criminal investigation and millions of pages of documents. This is what this political hack district attorney in Manhattan does. Now you've heard the leaks and you've read the leaks from the prosecutor's office. Now the fraud who serves as attorney general of New York, she's jumping in too. She should be disbarred if there was a uh, honest legal system in New York given her election comments about uh, Donald Trump and her failure to recuse herself. I mean, it's really appalling. But Alan Futerfus, in New York City at a press conference today, one of the president's lawyers, or I should say one of the, the Trump organization's lawyers, not one of the president's lawyers, he spoke out about these charges. Cut one, go. These charges are unprecedented. They are unique. Uh, People across the country, we believe, have heard of corporate apartments, have heard of corporate cars. Uh, All of this is on the books and records of the company. That's how they know about it. In other Um, words, they don't hide these things. They're not hiding anything. It's on the books. That's exactly. So they saw it on the books. Go ahead. So... It's, in my view, my personal view, it's not appropriate. Um, and quite frankly, it sets a, uh, a precedent. I think in 244 years, we have not had a local prosecutor go after a former president of the United States um, or his employees or his company. And that is a, uh, that is a significant line to cross. And quite frankly, not just as a lawyer, but as a citizen, uh, we're very concerned about that. So that in the future, if some prosecutor in a different political jurisdiction, uh, in a red state or in a red county, um, decides to take aim at a federal official or people close to them, uh, and then the rest of the country complains, well, this case is setting that precedent. So... Uh, we have looked at this so carefully. These cases are always resolved in the civil context. The IRS has never made a case like this. We cannot find where the IRS has ever made a case like this. 
Um, and we're all aware, all of you and all of us, are aware of the very significant financial crimes that have occurred uh, by large financial institutions where this office did not take them on, did not prosecute them. Going back to 2008, the financial collapse of the United States, many of the firms that were involved in those events are located in Manhattan. We did not see this office go after those firms and drag them into court, those companies into court, and we're talking about a trillion dollars in lost value to homeowners across the United States. So just to, those are my thoughts, and uh, I think that it is an a improper president. Um, I think the office knows this. I'm not saying anything to you all that they are not aware of, but I believe the political forces uh, driving today's events um, are just that. It's uh, political, politically driven, uh, notwithstanding uh, the statements by uh, my colleague uh, at the DA's office uh, in court today. A co-counsel, Susan Nikellis, a co-counsel with Futurfuss, the gentleman you just heard, she also spoke about what took place today. Cut to go. I think all Americans should be concerned about what they see in this case today. This case is truly unprecedented. The Attorney General's Office and the District Attorney's Office brought a joint prosecution here because they dislike Donald Trump politically. They subpoenaed millions of documents from him personally and pressured witnesses that, so that those witnesses... Just, trying to I want be- you to think about that. They subpoenaed millions of documents, and this is what they have. A civil matter that usually involves penalties and interest, that they are not criminalizing. I want you to think about that. They go back five, six, eight, ten years in the Trump Corporation. And this is what they find. This is it. This is it. Which means it's a very clean company. It's a very ethical company. It's run very, very well. Do you think for a second, if Microsoft or Apple Computer or the National Basketball Association or any of these organizations or companies, ESPN, whatever, do you think if they were checked that this is all they would find in terms of perks? It's outrageous. And it does send a horrific precedent, as we've said, since the Supreme Court foolishly ruled as it did. Go ahead. Tell them things that, that Donald Trump, that they wanted to hear, that Donald Trump had done things criminally, which they did not, the witnesses did not do because they could not do. Although Kerry Dunn in court said this was not a political prosecution, I think you can all see what has happened in the press, what you've seen over the last year, and the comments that Attorney General Letitia James has repeatedly made. She campaigned on a promise that she would get Donald Trump. She repeatedly said she would use all areas of the law to get Donald Trump. And this is a joint prosecution. While she was Attorney General and when while President Trump was in office, she sued him 70 times using New York taxpayer money. She called him an Got that? She sued him 70 times. Go ahead. President repeatedly. 
So this is the person who now, with the DA's office, have teamed up together to bring this unprecedented prosecution. The DA's office may say it's not unprecedented, but they cannot point to any case, any case, where a corporation has been prosecuted based on a few individuals in the corporation who allegedly, on their personal tax return, made a mistake or did not uh, pick up fringe benefits on their personal tax return. There is no such case that we have been able to find, and we do not believe that there is any such case that they have been able to find. You cannot say, like the DA's office said in court, oh, we brought the case because they didn't cooperate with us. That's not how it works. You bring the case on principles of corporation of uh, liability and when a corporation has done massive wrongdoing. That's what the, the DA's office's guidelines for corporate liability said, and they disregarded those guidelines to bring a case against the Trump company. Never happened before. We will win this case, but this case should have never been brought. It is a political prosecution, political prosecutions uh, where people are targeted criminally because the prosecutors disagree with their political beliefs happen in corrupt countries. It does not happen in America. It's un-American. It should not happen here in New York City, the greatest city in the greatest democracy in the world. It should not have occurred. And it is a sad day in New York that this occurred. Just another example of Democrat Party totalitarianism. Just another example. And here's another one, too. So who does CNN bring in to talk about this? Michael Cohen. I guess Michael Avenatti wasn't available. Isn't he in prison? Wasn't Michael Cohen in prison? So they bring a disbarred former convicted criminal. Well, he was a convicted criminal. Into comment on this. So why would CNN do that? You know why. Propaganda. CNN brings in John Dean, another disbarred attorney. Disbarred for his misconduct as an attorney. CNN brings him in to comment on it. And then, of course, MSNBC brings in Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff. One of the most unethical politicians to walk on two feet. Now you know why you hate the media. They deserve to be held in full and complete contempt. I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Now, education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, and it continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide. Through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of Liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence. It includes America's great heritage and liberty that too often today is falsely derided and denied. 
Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. may surprise some of you. actually may shock some I'm watching The Five, a show I like very much. I can't always watch it when I'm prepping. It's on in the background sometimes. But there's this fellow by the name of Harold Ford Jr. Who appears to be a new addition to The Five. I've never met him. I don't know him. I know he was a congressman. I know he ran for the Senate and he lost. But I have to say this. Again, don't know his background. I know his father was a congressman. He's very likable. And he's very level-headed. Even when you disagree with him on certain issues. So I think he's a great addition to the five. Don't you, Mr. Producer? He really is. He's a great addition to the five. It's a very well-rounded show, I think. All right, let's move on here. We have this excellent columnist at the New York Post by the name of Miranda, uh, Miranda Devine. She is intrepid. She is what reporters used to be, not anymore. And she's written this remarkable piece. Laptop shows Joe Biden attended meetings between Hunter and his Mexican business partners. Now, we have a Manhattan DA who's looking for issues with respect to Trump and his family and his organization, really finds nothing. We have the Attorney General of New York, who's an absolute hack. Nobody seems to be interested in this. Its evidence is in your face. It's between your eyes. You can't miss it. Of the links between old man Biden and Hunter Biden. And the media, that is, the Washington Post, the New York Times, their ilk, have no interest whatsoever, just as they covered up the laptop to begin with. I call them the Praetorian Guard media. I've been doing that for 20 years. That's what they are. So this is a serious matter, is it not? We have Hunter Biden, who, who apparently illegally... Uh, Uses, uh, travels with a gun. We have Hunter Biden, who doesn't register as a federal agent. People being prosecuted for this now. We have Hunter Biden making a fortune in relationships and associations with foreign countries and foreign uh, corporations. Obviously with no experience whatsoever, less than no experience. He's an idiot. And now we have this. And the Praetorian Guard is protecting Joe Biden. So we've asked Miranda Devine to come on the program and explain exactly what she found out. So you'll want to stick with us. I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Now, education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, and it continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide. 
through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of Liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence. It includes America's great heritage and liberty that too often today is falsely derided and denied. Hillsdale's motto is, Pursuing Truth and Defending Liberty Since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. The new American Revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. Miranda Devine writes for the New York Post. She and the New York Post are like bulldogs. They don't just give up because the rest of the media are the Praetorian Guard. In a piece titled, Laptop Shows Joe Biden Attended Meetings Between Hunter and His Mexican Business Partners. Now that should cause your eyes to pop out of your head, but apparently not for most of the media. Miranda Devine, welcome. Tell us what you found. Thanks, Mark. Great to be with you. Well, look, it's just more of this uh, overwhelming evidence that's on Hunter's abandoned laptop that Joe Biden, contrary to his denials, uh, did get involved in Hunter's business. He did know about Hunter's business. And Hunter used the perks of Joe Biden's vice presidency from flights on Air Force Two to breakfast with Daddy uh, at the vice president's residence in Washington, D.C., the beautiful Naval Observatory there, uh, to pursue his business deals. And uh, the latest one that we have is uh, we have a photograph taken in the living room of the Naval Observatory back in 2015 with Hunter and his dad, Joe, with two Mexican billionaires, one of them being Carlos Slim, who at one point was the world's richest man. And uh, another Didn't man he or doesn't uh, he own part of the New York Times, as I recall? Am I wrong about that? Exactly. He bailed out the New York Times. Exactly. So maybe... That's one clue why there's no coverage of this. Who knows why there's the Praetorian Guard, as you say. Uh, But, you know, these were Hunter Biden's business associates. They were people that Hunter Biden either was making money from or was hoping to make money from, uh, was trying to get involved with uh, or was involved with. And, you know, we have already just recently ran um, another story and another photograph of Joe Biden who popped into a dinner that Hunter was having with business partners from Kazakhstan, Ukraine and Russia and Mexico. Uh, And that was at Cafe Milano in a private room in Washington, D.C. And uh, we know that Joe Biden popped in there. And uh, now we have this evidence of a breakfast meeting in uh, November 19, 2015, uh, in the living room of the residence, the vice president's residence, with four of Hunter's business partners. So um, I, I just don't understand how the White House is not addressing this. At some point, they're going to have to confront the evidence that the president was involved 
in Hunter Biden's overseas business dealings. And uh, at some point, Joe Biden is going to have to admit that he lied when he told the world several times during the election campaign that he knew nothing about Hunter Biden's business dealings overseas. You know, Miranda, it is amazing to me. We lived through the five years prior to Biden. At the drop of a hat, they impanel grand juries. At the drop of a hat, there's an appointment of a special counsel to investigate the president, that is Trump and his family and his businesses. There are endless congressional investigations and hearings. There are national arguments over what a word means or a syllable within a word means, trying to take out the former president. Here we have a laptop full of what appears to be solid evidence. And at a minimum, you would think, are they going to panel grand jury related to this, not what went on in Pennsylvania, whatever that is, or is there going to be a special counsel or a committee? There's nothing. Absolute silence and silence from CNN and MSNBC and silence, as we pointed out, from the New York Times and the Washington Post. Nothing. And big tech, which tried to shut you folks down and did uh, mm. during the, uh, mm. during the uh, days before the election. This is absolutely shocking, isn't it? It sure is. Uh, look, on the one hand, I do understand they don't have the laptop. Um, and so it's it's difficult to report what's on it. But but we've put out their um, photographs, we've put out their uh, emails and other documents. Tony Bobolinsky came mm-hmm. forward uh, willing to speak. Uh, he was suppressed as well. Our story was suppressed. You know, it's one thing for media to say, oh, we can't report on that because we don't have the laptop. They didn't even ask for the laptop. But... They also have tried to uh, degrade and and, uh, diminish the laptop and the reporting that we've done by swallowing this line from John Brennan and co that it was Russian disinformation. Now, those uh, several dozen former spooks made that allegation just after our report came out, initial report came out on the laptop last October, a few weeks before the presidential election. Um, and, And these former spooks declared without having looked at the laptop, without having even requested to have a look at the laptop, without contacting us, they declared that in their expert opinion, it was Russian disinformation. They were completely wrong. And we had you know, the uh, intelligence experts at the time saying, well, there's no evidence that it's Russian disinformation. Uh, We produced the evidence on the laptop. It's not Russian disinformation. It's reality. It's really Hunter Biden's emails and other documents uh, that that showed that his father and and his father's brother, Jim Biden, were involved in this influence peddling operation that was going on in several countries around the world, including China, including Russia, that uh, Joe Biden had carriage for when he was vice president. And, you know, most disturbing of all, of course, is the China, uh, you know, material. So uh, I I honestly don't understand... um, how how much longer the rest of the media can ignore this, and also how much longer the White House can ignore it. But you know what's interesting? The uh, Justice Department can get it. Rudy Giuliani's uh, apartment was ransacked, and they wouldn't even take the hard drive 
that you have, that you folks have from the laptop. They, they, in fact, they said, no, 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 we don't want that. So nothing stops them. What do you, what do you think about these so-called media reporters, like at CNN and the Washington Post? You've got this guy, Jeremy Barr. You've got uh, Brian Stelter. You have people focus on, we're going to report on the media industry. Do you ever get contacted by them asking you to explain <laughs> why the media won't pick up on these major stories? No, of course not. It's a Any joke, time right? They contact us is the opposite. Is to pull pull apart what we've done. Uh, you know, Glenn Kessler at the Washington Post uh, tried to pull apart our story on uh, just recently on the Cafe Milano uh, story. It very gullible, accepting the word of the White House against what you know the evidence that we've produced. Um, it, it makes no sense. These are not. These people are not acting as reporters or as journalists, but as ciphers for either the surveillance state or champions of the Biden White House. And and which, you know, is extraordinary considering for four years under Trump, um, the the media was so ferociously antagonistic. And I'm not even against that. You know, I think you, you hold power to account. That's sort of what journalists are meant to do. But then you don't turn around and become supine puppy dogs when you know, the other side gets into office. Um, I, I, it's, it's just very odd. And I, I also, uh, I, I have faith still. I mean, I know that the FBI has had a copy of the laptop since December 2019 uh, when the, uh, the, the MacBook uh, repair shop owner gave it to them because he was concerned about what was on it. And then uh, subsequently he he gave a copy of the hard drive to Rudy Giuliani because he was concerned that nothing had happened with the FBI. I do think the FBI, um, you know, grinds ahead in their in- investigations very slowly, and you would hope that's because they're being thorough and not just because they're a bureaucratically hogtied institution. But uh, I, yes, you know, but I, if the I, recent past I, is prologue, uh, it's not a good sign. No, but there there must be good people there, and they must see themselves. It's pretty obvious once you spend a bit of time, a lot of time actually, it's very difficult to uh, to mine this laptop and, and find the gold nuggets in um, among all the dross. But I'm sure that they have plenty of good investigators who are able to do that. And there's plenty of evidence in there that the FBI ought to be looking at because it, it really is about our national security and um, it's about also safeguarding the integrity of the presidency. And I'll add to that last point. It's whether or not uh, Biden's been bought off, to be perfectly honest with you. Well, I want to thank you, Miranda Devine, uh, for, uh, for another stellar job. I appreciate it, and we, uh, we very much admire your courage. So you take care. Wonderful. Thank you. To, thank you. All right. Be well. And we'll be right back. in. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Now, education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, and it continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide. 
through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of Liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence. It includes America's great heritage and liberty that too often today is falsely derided and denied. Hillsdale's motto is, Pursuing Truth and Defending Liberty Since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. All right. Let's take a look here. Bear with me, folks. Let's take a look. Wow. You folks have made... American Marxism, number two on Amazon for the last, like, three days. Uh, Novels, number one, and I want to thank you. That tells me many of you are really on the move. And we're only 12 days away now. 12 little short days away. And uh, those of you who are pre-ordering, the book will show up at your door, on your step, 12 days from now in the morning. And as I keep saying, this is a book you just need to take your time to read. Page by page, chapter by chapter. Don't be in a rush. There's a lot of scholars, so-called, intellectuals, so-called, who've written many things. Professors in particular, that I want to expose you to. I want you to know their names, the names of their books, the names of their essays. Because we need to know where this is coming from. Our colleges and universities are drenched. Drenched in tenured professors, and propaganda, and textbooks. And we need to unravel this. We need to point to it. One of the chapters in the book I haven't spent a lot of time on in the last three months talking to you about is actually a very, very important chapter. It's the third chapter. It's called Hate America, Inc. And let me just hit a couple paragraphs with you. And you'll notice how this book relates to what we talk about on radio and TV and events that are taking place. That's why I'm able to talk about it and smoothly fuse it with events that are taking place. But to give them a different sort of background and and, and substantive history and so forth. Hate America, Inc. The progressive intellectuals of the late 1800s and early 1900s laid the foundation for the present-day acceptance and indoctrination of the Marxist ideology throughout academia, society, and the culture. They made clear their hostility toward capitalism and the constitutional republican system that established barriers against tyrannies of various kinds, including that which is born from the mob or centralized autocracy, and of course, what would become known as progressivism. They understood that the citizenry generally was not amenable, to their alien objectives. Thus they undertook a long campaign to educate, or better stated, re-educate and indoctrinate future armies of radicals and revolutionaries, such as students and student advocates, through government schools and institutions of higher learning. Early progressive intellectuals were sympathetic toward the Marxist ideology as they are today, and even embraced its core themes, 
And they more or less adopted the Rousseauian approach to educational indoctrination. That is, while contending, the student should be free to learn what interests and motivates him as an individual. In fact, the instructor should cleverly manipulate what interests and motivates the student. For the ultimate purpose of public education is to subsume the individual's will into the general will. So the progressive frequently intones on behalf of the individual's needs and desires, but only in the sensory context of the so-called greater good or the so-called community's best interests. More recently, but over three decades ago, and I uncovered this, don't tell me how, just digging. In a little-remembered article in Marx's, on Marxism's influence on American colleges and universities, the New York Times, of all places, the education writer there, Felicity Barringer, penned The Mainstreaming of Marxism in U.S. Colleges, October 29, 1989. And she revealed in part that as Karl Marx's ideological heirs and communist nations struggle to transform his political legacy, his intellectual heirs on American campuses have virtually completed their own transformation from brash, beleaguered outsiders to assimilated academic insiders. It could be considered a success story for the students of class struggle, who were once regarded as subversives. But some scholars say that as Marxists have adapted their ties to the 19th century German philosopher, have fragmented into a loosely knit collection of theories with little in common. And in the past decade, while the prosperity of Western economies has made Marxism irrelevant to many, new rival radical theories have arisen to challenge the Marxists themselves. Thus, there's been an Americanized, I write, adaption of Marxism, which uses Marx's core precepts and contextualizes them to the American system in order to effectively overthrow the system, governmental, economic, social, and cultural. Indeed, the report goes on to say, quote, Marxism and feminism, Marxism and deconstruction, Marxism and race. This is where the exciting debates are. Said Jonathan M. Weiner, a professor of history at the University of California at Irvine, indeed in 1989, at the time of this article's publication, the seeds of a radical fringe ideology called critical theory which I say I discuss at length in subsequent chapter, and the unraveling of the existing society by weaponizing the culture against itself began their early bloom throughout Americans' collegiate landscape, but with little public notice, and it goes on. See, when you do your own research, Mr. Produce, you dig into this stuff, you find these things. It's a chapter I've not talked about at all. Yes, Hate America, Inc. It's the third chapter of the book. Now, every one of these chapters is significant. And they're not like 10 pages or 12 pages. There's only seven chapters in the book. But as I say, the contents, the table of contents moves at one step after another. One logical step. First, it's here. Then breeding mobs. Then Hate America, Inc. Then racism, genderism, and Marxism then climate change fanaticism, then propaganda, censorship, and subversion. That would be our media for the most part. And then the last chapter, we choose liberty. Continue to jump in, folks. Those of you who haven't jumped in, those of you who want to purchase pre-order copies for your kids or grandkids or for neighbors or colleagues, jump in, as so many of you have. Throughout 2021, 
consensus has been that higher mortgage rates are coming. But when is this really happening? Well, it's happening soon. Very soon. So, the book moves through piece by piece. You're going to learn about individuals you never heard about, professors, books, and so forth. You don't have to become experts on them. You just need to take your time, one page at a time. And I think you're going to learn an enormous amount. Even my editor said, gee, I didn't even know half of this stuff. Exactly. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, I wanted to add a little bit to what I was reading to you from American Marxism, Chapter 3, Hate America, Inc. I think it's very important. Because even back then, the Washington Post had a little bit more integrity than it has today, that's for sure. And I point out that in American colleges and universities, and this is based on this Washington Post article from 1989, there's no limit to how professors can and do use Marxism as a doctrinal tool. And so again, I'm quoting from this 1989 Washington Post piece that talks about how Marxism is really being uh, really common now in our universities and and colleges, how, how it's been assimilated into the systems. Diversity is now the signature of once monolithic Marxism, writes the reporter. Professor... Spivak, who teaches English at the University of Pittsburgh, calls herself a Marxist feminist. Professor Romer, economics professor at the University of California, Davis, designs Marxist market-driven economies. And Eric Olin Wright, a sociology professor at the University of Wisconsin, calls himself an analytic Marxist, seeking to break Marx's grand theories down into their component parts. This is, you know, it was amazing as I spent... It was 12 months or so into this book, and I found this article which sort of undergirded everything I was saying. Because you can see it, you can smell it, you can touch it. So while this reporter Barringer's expose is quite accurate, and the consequences of multifaceted applications of Marxism are manifest today throughout modern America, the brash Marxists, as she wrote, still exist, and their numbers are growing both on campus and throughout the society, culture, and government. And the early progressives understood that they must institutionalize their educational activism by, among other things, controlling the administration of education and the classroom through a tenured and unionized legion of teachers where like-minded instructors armed with ideologically driven, like social activism, curricula, populate all levels of educational institutions, often choose their successors, and are protected from scrutiny or competition. For these reasons and more, they adamantly oppose standardized testing, merit-based teacher evaluations, school choice, and the like. After all, their purpose is to uproot traditional, pre-progressive-oriented educational approaches and clear the way 
for progressive Marxist-oriented, ideologically-based doctrinal approaches instead. I turned this book in three months ago before there was a single protest that certainly was known in any of these school districts. So I want you to know, I'm not writing an essay about what's taking place. I've written a book about what is or going to take place. It also bears reminding that the early progressives, like their modern progeny, are the intellectual offspring of of Rousseau, Hegel, and Marx. They share the overarching view that the individual must be subjugated to the greater community. And this is critical race theory in a, uh, in a nutshell. doesn't matter if you're not racist. You just can't help it. You're white. You're part of this racist, white-dominant culture. And this is why it's such a pernicious and vile ideology that they're perpetrating. Pernicious and vile. And... Uh, even more prolific than some of the other early intellectuals in this, John Dewey. He had a role in drastically altering the traditional purposes of education into social activism and so forth. So those of you who are concerned about what's going on in your schools, whether they be elementary, secondary, middle schools, colleges and universities, you're going to know why now. Now, Instinctively you already do, but you're going to know why from a different perspective. Those of you who are concerned about what's going on in corporations and why they behave they do, you're going to know why now. Again, there have been some very good writings about this, but from a different perspective. All these movements, where are they coming from? Why all now? Why all now? And so uh, that's why I say, you hear me reading it, maybe you find it intriguing, you find it very interesting... Just a paragraph here or there. So when you read it yourself, just take your time. Don't be hard on yourself. I'm going to rush through these 300 and some pages. Oh, it's too much. No, just take it easy. Take your time. I do believe the book will be hard to put down. But that's okay. Just take your time. Go through it page by page. You don't have to memorize names or anything like that. But these names, you'll become familiar with them. You'll become familiar with who's doing what. It's not magic. It's not a secret. This is all happening in the light of day. Just because the modern day Washington Post and the New York Times won't focus on it and are part of this counter-revolution. Just because, you know, these frauds like Joy Reid lie about what's going on or they don't cover it properly at CNN or MSNBC... Just because Barack Obama's out there laughing it off doesn't, we don't, we don't look at the world, understand what's happening in our own communities, in our own country, in our own lives, through the eyes and the mind and the spin and the ideology of the people who are doing it. And we have to get used to dismissing them and rejecting them. It doesn't matter what the New York Times says. It doesn't matter what the Washington Post says. They live in their own world. They push their own propaganda. Now we need to challenge it and confront it and defeat their lies and their narratives. That's true. But they live in and purposely create their own bubble, their own cocoon. That's what they are. That's who they are. 
you read on Freedom of the Press, or you have, many of you have, you know exactly what's going on here. These are hacks. How in the world did the New York Times cover up so much of the Holocaust and have Walter Durante, a paid hack by Joseph Stalin himself, reporting for 12 years out of Moscow? How is it that the Washington Post also helped cover up the Holocaust? How is it that Ben Bradley of Newsweek and then the Washington Post was doing dirty hit jobs in the pages of those publications on behalf of John Kennedy? Where he was given IRS files on opponents of Kennedy, on conservatives or groups which then would show up in Newsweek or the Washington Post. This is an unfreedom of the press. These people have no scruples. They have no conscience. They have no principles. That's why I don't talk to them. If I ever talk to them, it's on the record. But I talk to them almost never. What's the point? All right, when we come back, there's a very, very important piece of the DailySignal.com by our buddy Hans von Spakovsky. And it's entitled, and it's fresh today, Former Justice Department Lawyer Testifies to Voting Section's History of Abusing Its Authority. So this will not show up in the compost or the slimes or anywhere else. But here, I'll be right back. Mark Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com. And enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L E V I N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. So, one of the biggest frauds, Nicole Hannah Jones, time working for them. New York Times Magazine pushing the 1619 Project, which has been thoroughly debunked by true historians, I mean big-time historians. UNC trustees greenlight tenure for Nicole Hannah-Jones, who's known for the 1619 Project at Just the News, which is an outstanding site. The trustees of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill have approved tenure for Nicole Hannah-Jones, the New York Times Magazine journalist who won the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for commentary for the 1619 Project. See, this is how you get awards. This is how you get tenure. I think at first they were very uh, queasy about giving her tenure. Then the pressure came. Then the allegations came, including from her. Uh, The NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund jumped in, as I understand. 
and uh, she will now have tenure. She'll become the Knight Chair in Race and Investigative Journalism. That is the Knight Chair in Race and Investigative Journalism. And last week her attorney said she would not report, you know, for the role without tenure. So uh, she gets tenure. Isn't that great? And we're going to talk about tenure a lot. We are. And uh, the problem with tenure. Now before we get to our friend Hans and his piece, I meant to do this too. And we want to give a hat tip to Rumble, which is a fantastic site, by the way. Here we have an Arizona father who's an African-American at a school board meeting. Uh, and he doesn't want to be called by his race. He's an American. And of course, critical race theory, which Joy Reid says doesn't exist and isn't being taught in our schools, is the subject of this father attacking critical race theory. Cut 13, go. I'm not a part of any group. I just came here because my kids are 8, 10, and All right, let's 12. start over. Can you, can you kick it up any louder, Mr. Producer? All right, let's go. Cut 13. I'm not a part of any group. I just came here because my kids are 8, 10, and 12. And um, we, we start to experience things as far as um, Black History Month. Um, my kids will, be, will come home and they will be afraid. And I, I would always ask them what was going on, and then I start realizing that they were teaching stuff. They taught my kids about slavery and then civil rights and nothing in between. And now you got C, CRT, and I ask you guys not to burden my kids with something that's going to hold them back. 30 seconds. Um, I don't really give them, teach them all the history because I want them to soar as big as they can be without the burden of someone saying, well, you're oppressed or... Uh, I'm being nice to you is why you're succeeding. I want my kids to just thrive and continue to be kids and grow as much as they possibly can. So I ask you guys, um, just take a look at what you're doing and what, what's the future going to hold for the kids that's experiencing all this right now. Sounds like a wonderful man and a wonderful father. And, of course, he'll be ignored. Same school board meeting. Cut 14. Now, this, this uh, mother speaks rather quickly, so you have to listen carefully. Cut 14. Go. In the June 9th governing board meeting, you stated unequivocally that critical race theory is not in Chandler Unified Schools. I've spent the last few days reviewing every item available through the district website on the recent Summer Equity Symposium. It was not only saturated with the language of critical race theory, but it was sponsored by Stand for Arizona, a political nonprofit who runs the Center for Anti-Racism and Education. Anti-racism has become the preferred euphemism for critical race theory. What concerns me the most about what I read, watched, and researched about the symposium is how you are framing our direction for the district. The moderator said they are placing equity at the center of our district. I'd like education to be the center of our district. Education should not be viewed as a tool towards equity, but as the end goal itself. 30 seconds. Keynote speaker Victor Rios described the education trinity as parents, teachers, and students, but it seems you view it as teachers, administrators, and school board. Parents should sit down, shut up, and take what we're given and be grateful. You are prioritizing your own personal and political agendas above the welfare of this district's students. Many of my friends have pulled their students from the district into charter schools and home schools, and they've encouraged me to do the same. I've always been an advocate for our public schools, and I've valued the resources and opportunities found here, but I find the value diminishing quickly. We have voted you in to advocate for our children, and we ask that you do so. These parents are, uh, are so stressed by what's going on because it's so outrageous. Oh, we don't call it critical race theory. Now we call it anti-racism. Oh, we'll change the language. We'll change the narrative, you see. 
Here's another Arizona mom at the school board meeting. Cut 15. Go. I wanted to stand up with fellow parents and tell you that I have had enough. I'm so sick of the hypocrisy and lies. Stop telling us as parents that we are misinformed and spreading rumors about CRT. It's real. It's a thing. And By the way, that is the new tactic. We saw it in Loudoun County, Virginia. We're seeing it everywhere now. No, no, no. It's not critical race theory. What are you talking about? No, 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 we're not, we're not teaching this to children. What's your problem? We're teaching them American history, but all of American history, and we're teaching them anti-racism. No, they're not. They're teaching them Marxism. Go ahead. There's no place in our schools. You want to take from one child to give to another. You can't rob Peter to pay Paul. It doesn't work. It also teaches hate and divides us instead of uniting us. I will not sit by and let my children be brainwashed with these twisted ideologies. We don't trust you. We don't think you're a fit to make decisions that are in the best interest of our children anymore. Mm-hmm. And there were many, many, many more. Many more. Former Justice Department lawyer testifies to voting section's history of abusing its authority, Hans von Spakovsky. At a hearing Tuesday intended to build support for H.R. 4, Maureen Reardon did the exact opposite. A career attorney who served in the voting section of the Justice Department Civil Rights Division for more than 20 years... She testified before the House Judiciary Committee in the long history of abuses she witnessed while working at the department. H.R. 4 would bring back a vastly and vastly expand the pre-clearance, that is the pre-approval process of Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. It required a small number of states, such as Alabama and Georgia, to get the Department of Justice's approval before making any changes in their voting laws. In 2013, in Shelby County versus Holder, the Supreme Court ended the pre-clearance requirement because it rightly recognized that the time was over. There wasn't anything happening that required its triggering. Section 5 was only meant to be a temporary provision addressing some egregious practices that were happening in certain states in 1965. Now, fortunately, the type of systemic, widespread voting discrimination that was occurring then is long gone and Section 5 was longer necessary. But H.R. 4 would bring pre-clearance back with a vengeance. It will give liberal bureaucrats inside the voting section the power to review the veto changes, any change, no matter how insignificant, in voting laws and regulations enacted by state legislators and election officials all over the country. This is what they want to use against Republican legislatures. Including changes in polling place locations, voter ID requirements, registration requirements, voterless maintenance standards, and the boundary lines and redistricting, all would be subject to review by the so-called Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice, which is populated with leftists. Attorney Reardon, now at the Public Interest Legal Foundation, exposed improper partisan behavior she witnessed throughout her career, including during the 2000 presidential recount in Florida, as the voting section staff discussed strategies to assist the Democratic Party and sent faxes to then-Vice President Al Gore's campaign operatives. Long before the Supreme Court ruled Section 5 was no longer necessary or justified, entrenched Department of Justice bureaucrats had weaponized this power. Reardon recounted a 2009 objection to a pro's voting change in Kinston, North Carolina, a town where African Americans are a majority of the population. In a referendum election, the town voted to remove party affiliations from ballots and switch to nonpartisan elections for members of the city council, but DOJ bureaucrats objected claiming it was discriminatory because the word Democrat wasn't next to the candidate's name. Oh, I see. 
And she had story after story about the politicization by Democrats and leftists, so-called civil servants in the Civil Rights Division, trying to undermine various state laws covered by this statute. So as I said last week, they're trying to do through the back door what they cannot do through the front door. That is, use this law to advance their their ideology. I'll be right back. says today what the backbenchers will repeat tomorrow call mark at 877-381-3811 there was a big decision in the united states supreme court today six to three upholding uh, arizona's election law and uh, it's receiving passing attention but it's actually quite a significant victory i think a lot of the other state legislatures who care about the integrity of their vote are looking on this uh, with a big smile and we have the Attorney General of Arizona who's responsible for bringing it and defending that state's election law. Mark Bernovich, it's nice to meet you, sir. Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much for having me on. Really an honor and a pleasure. And likewise. So tell us what happened here and then what the court decided. Uh, Reader's Digest version is in 2016, the Arizona legislature had passed guidelines regarding who can collect and deliver uh, ballots. And additionally, Arizona had a law in its book from the 1970s that basically limited the ability of uh, folks to vote out of precinct. So the left, as they've been doing shortly before elections, usually they'll come in and they'll start challenging laws, trying to create chaos and trying to stack, uh, you know, the deck to their advantage when it comes to election integrity. So I stepped in. I defended our state laws. Uh, We actually won after a 10-day trial at the district court. Um, Of course, the Ninth Circuit, Ninth Circus, uh, overturned uh, the the, – said the statutes were essentially racist because they couldn't find any other reason to strike them down. And so I appealed it, and I personally argued the case to the U.S. Supreme Court. And as you just said, Mark, we won six to three. What were the significant parts of this law that were being challenged and the court upheld? Well, I I kept saying and we kept arguing that these are common sense election integrity measures. So, for example, the limitations on out of precinct voting, a majority of states have very similar statutes. Even the District of Columbia limits that. But somehow when it comes to red states, the left comes in and says, oh, my gosh, that's, you know, suppressing voters in some way. Now, now Uh, let's stop there. Why, Why is it important that people vote in the precincts that are assigned to them? Mark, because they can go to different important. precincts and vote, right? I mean, then you right. can't keep track this, of them even. It, and this argument was made, look, first and foremost, I'm a huge believer in the Constitution and federalism. And the states created the federal government. The federal government didn't create the states. Under Article mm-hmm. One, Section 4, the states are allowed to determine the time, place, and manner of how they conduct elections. So what works in Manhattan, New York, may not work in Manhattan, Kansas. And so, you know, there's these laboratories of democracy, and I believe very strongly in the separation of powers. When the legislature in Arizona or Georgia or New York, whoever, makes these decisions, they should be respected. And ultimately, the reason why some states have 
these types of procedures is because they want order. They don't want chaos. They understand that if you don't, uh, if people are voting out of precinct, that affects the down ballot races, sometimes the city council races, um, you know, other local races, and um, it ends up being costly sometimes for the county. So there's a whole plethora of reasons why states, as I said, a majority of states have adopted limitations on out of precinct voting. What else uh, did they challenge, and what else did you win on? they also challenged the limitations on ballot harvesting. Now, ballot harvesting is this practice where you have sometimes candidates, sometimes activists, third parties go out and try to collect ballots. And, you know, and, and we know, we know, and this was brought up at the Supreme Court, that, you know, no less than Jimmy Carter, and this was in our briefing, came up during an argument, no less than Jimmy Carter in 2005 said that mail-in ballots was one of the greatest sources of potential fraud in elections, and Arizona adopted this law based on the recommendations of a report that former President Jimmy Carter, the liberal icon, had uh, co-chaired. So once again, these are not crazy restrictions. These are consistent with trying to preserve the integrity of elections. And unfortunately, the left uh, tries to target you know, red states, and they try to basically create chaos or undermine the process. Here in Arizona, there was at least six lawsuits related to the election in 2020 where I had to step in and defend everything from stopping them from mailing out ballots to everyone, whether they requested them or not, to extending the ballot curing period, which we know it happened in other states. But in Arizona, I was able to stop that. So you know, this is part of the far-left strategic plan, I think, to undermine not only the electoral process in states, but ultimately, and you're seeing this, Mark, to concentrate power in Washington, D.C., because now you're already seeing the left making these arguments that, well, this is why they want to nationalize elections, because the states can't get it right. And, you know, they throw out all these terribly charged words and accusations that just are not bound to any sort of facts and not bound in reality. Speaking of uh, not bound in any sort of reality, did you see Joe Biden's response, which was, this is why we need to pass, you know, H.R. 1 and S. 1 and there's a way to get around what the Supreme Court did and so forth. So all this stuff, about, uh, uh, Mr. Attorney General, all this stuff about Jim Crow is a lie. It's a power grab. And I think in Biden's own statement, he demonstrated that, did he not? There is a disgusting trend right now, Mark, that anytime someone disagrees with you, the left is going to label you racist. And look, that may work in the mainstream media or on the you know, left Twitter pages or amongst woke corporations, but thank goodness it didn't work at the Supreme Court. And the left has created this false narrative, this false dichotomy, so to speak, that basically says we either have to have voter participation or election integrity. And the reality is they're not mutually exclusive. We, we can ensure sure that every vote counts, that we can ensure that people that have the right to vote do get to vote. But at the same time, we need to. We need to maintain confidence in the integrity of the process and the integrity of the results. And so I'm glad this case establishes a clear and I think constitutional test that allows states to conduct elections without the micromanagement of the federal government. And the Joe Biden, I, I don't know, I can look. He's full of it. I don't know the better way to say it. In the left, they are so so hypocritical on this issue because the Biden administration actually, shortly before this case was argued, filed a, a brief of that the court Supreme Court asked them to, and they basically said that they thought these laws were consistent with the Voting Rights Act. And now, lo and behold, they're clutching the pearls. You know, it's like what Casablanca. There's gambling here, Rick. There's gambling, and it's like they're full of it. This is all about setting a narrative that somehow. 
uh, you know, voter integrity laws equal racism. And it's just not true. It's not tethered in reality. It's not tethered in the facts. And I wish at some point more of the mainstream media would start asking them tough questions about, wait a minute, what do you mean racist? How do you show that? In our hearing, Mark, during the 10-day trial, literally one of the African-American former council members had testified that he actually thought this hurt African-American voters. We know in 2015 in Phoenix that the city council, which is predominantly Democrat, they had to issue warnings because people were going around saying they were government officials trying to collect ballots. Now, of course, if they, th- they thought Republicans were doing that, so therefore there was a warning and they were going to shut it down. It just shows you the intellectual dishonesty and the hypocrisy of the left. And I thank goodness you've been talking a lot about this. My family, you know, we fled communism. And what is going on right now in this country? This is all out of the Marxist, neo-Marxist playbook, where mm-hmm. they are trying to create division and chaos. And instead of using class warfare, they're trying to inflame us and basically through critical race theory, through these types of things of concentrating electoral power in Washington, they are basically trying to say the system is so flawed, we've got to tear it all down, and we're going to have a bunch of people in D.C. run our elections and run our lives. And that's why we've got to fight. We've got to push back every chance we get. You know, uh, what you have done and what you're doing is crucially important because I think challenges uh, by Republican attorneys general to what Joe Biden's doing across the border, wherever there can be some kind of standing. And, you know, given Massachusetts versus EPA, you guys have a lot of standing. And attacks on what he's doing from a state perspective is one of the most important ways to at least try to slow down or stop what they're doing to this country. Don't you agree? Absolutely. And, you know, Mark, we have actually three lawsuits related to immigration right now. And we actually just did get an adverse ruling. We, you know, we sued the Biden administration saying that, you know, his failure to file, follow Title VIII and deport the 1.2 million people with deportation orders in the statute, federal statute requires it. Um, the federal judge said that we did have standing. And she said that there is a harm to Arizona from the Biden administration failure to follow the law. But she said she couldn't grant the remedy because of the discretion. So we're obviously appealing that case. Case, and I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't go to the U.S. Supreme Court, you know, based on based on recent case law. And so we're we're, we've, we're trying to preserve our borders and protect the integrity of our country. We've also were involved in a lawsuit. Some of my colleagues and I ch- uh, challenging the Biden administration's new carbon tax rules, which is once again all about empowering you know the far left and you know the green energy folks so Washington can give favors to all their favorite lefty causes. We have a lawsuit about that. We actually have a lawsuit we just argued. I, I sued Yellen and the Biden administration over the COVID relief bill that will restrict or prohibit states from cutting state taxes if they get any COVID money. And I've asked this question rhetorically to people. Why is it that the Biden administration wants to send $1,400 checks out to people, but the state of Arizona can't cut state taxes by $1,400? Mm. And the answer is, is because they want to concentrate wealth and power in Washington, D.C. So we got to fight on all these fronts, Mark. Well, that's outstanding. I want to congratulate you, and uh, I think you're right on. I think this is really, in, in terms of what you're able to do, this is crucially important. And uh, we'd like to have you back again, Mr. Attorney General. You're great. I'd love to, Mark. There's a lot going on, and we got a lot of fights, and so I appreciate everyone's prayers, support, everything you can do. It's um. You know, as you know, Mark, freedom is not something that we pass on to our kids. You know, Ronald Reagan used to talk about us all the mm-hmm. time. It's something that must be fought for for every generation. I think about that every single day. Amen. You're exactly right. Thank you, brother. Good luck. God bless to you. 
Wow, what an attorney general, Mr. Producer. Wow. Very good. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com. And enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L E V I N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Let's quickly go to Lori, Nashville, Tennessee, which is a wonderful, wonderful town, except for your kook mayor. The great WWTN. Uh, how are you, Lori? I'm very good. It's so nice to talk to you. Thank you. I wanted to tell you that I met you and your lovely bride, Julie, at the Ronald Reagan Library twice. Really? And, yes. Thank you. You signed my plunder and deceit and rediscovering Americanism. Thank you. Um, I'm a former team captain of uh, Convention of States. Wonderful. And I left the communist state of California in 2018. Mm-hmm. And I was very happy to hear that your children left the state, too, and joined mm-hmm. me here in Nashville. Oh, yeah. But the, the reason that I was calling is because I'm very excited that you're releasing American Marxism on my birthday. Oh, it's your birthday. Wonderful. July 13 is my birthday. Mm-hmm. And I, the, the thing I, that you mentioned actually a couple shows ago that I thought was something I would absolutely help you work on is mm-hmm. trying to make July 13 a federal holiday. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? I, we're only at 11. We got, you know, we have 365 days, what, no, 354 days to go. It's going to be a start of a huge movement, so why not? We could. We could. But we may have to make August 6th the uh, national holiday. You know, that's my wife's birthday. Oh, I could could help you do that, too. You're funny. You're terrific. Lori, happy birthday. Well, not yet. Try to call us on uh, July 13th, okay? Give it a shot. I will, for sure. All right. God bless you, and thank you very, very much. We do have a couple announcements coming up, but I can't make them yet. Yellow, yellow. Can't make them yet. All right, let's see here. Jerry, Passaic, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Mark? Yeah. Hello? Yeah, you got to lower your radio. Oh. Okay, well, my radio. 
I ordered your I ordered your book, and I'm also going to get the audio. Thank you. I want both, so I can reinforce everything. Listen to one thing, and then read it one way, and then listen to another way, so I can reinforce it. I like when new books are really good. I have to have both. Thank the you. And you know, and people the during one. the summer, if you're driving around the country, you might as well get the audio and stick it in there and listen to it. Anyway, go right ahead. Yes, sir. And uh, I've been listening to you two from day one. Really? When you had Murderer's Row, when all three of you were on the same station. We really did have Murderer's Row with Rush, Sean, and Levin. That's what they used to call us because uh, the competing station just couldn't survive. It was just a killer lineup. Eric and, uh, and, 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 and Babe Ruth all in, all, all in the lineup. <laughs> You're very kind. Well, we know who Babe Ruth was. That was definitely Rush. But, um, yes, sir. you know, uh, like I said, I love your show. I've always you. listened to it. And um, Now, what did you, uh, what do you think, you called in to talk about how the DA is treating uh, President Trump. What do you wanted to say about that? Well, I think they're treating him as if he's Napoleon Bonaparte trying to level France and destroy Europe on one side, on mm-hmm. the other side, like he's Genghis Khan, and he wants to conquer the world. Mm-hmm. And nothing could be further from the truth. You know, the funny thing is, he, he abided by the law, despite the allegations against him. He abided by court decisions. He was enforcing immigration laws, which Biden won't do. He doesn't have a racist bone in his body. That's right, I said it, despite the efforts by the media and others to paint him that way. And yet you can hear Biden and AOC and, and Talib and Omar and their defenders, which include uh, Pelosi and the others... You want to talk about racism, anti-Semitism, the Democrat Party is boiling over with it. All right, Jerry, I want to thank you for your call, my friend. I'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 381 877-381-3811. You know, Mr. Producer. And America. I could never be a UFC fighter. I mean, a real UFC fighter or MMA, I guess. But I'm just not built for it. I mean, I can defend myself, but these guys are, you know, they're killers. And I have to say, I'm obsessed with MMA. Not like Brother Sean, who practices. I don't practice anything. I'm saying, I'm disappointed if a Saturday rolls around And I can't find it on TV. Whether it's UFC or Bellator or whatever. I love watching it. And I wonder often, why do you love watching this? Because for many of us, we fans, 
It's not about our physical ability to do what they do. It's about their tenacity. It's about their their willingness to do whatever they have to do to defend themselves. Putting themselves in the ring where the whole world can see them. And defending who they are and what they are. And on the other hand, fighting. Fighting their opponents as hard as they possibly can. That's what I do here, but not physically. And I'm gearing up for one big battle, Mr. Producer. You understand what I'm talking about? I'm almost salivating over this. Because I'm being told by people that the Washington Post, like some guy named Jeremy Barr, is going to do a hit piece on me. I am salivating. I can't wait. Is that weird? Well, you look at these UFC fighters or these, again, more broadly, MMA fighters. They go in, they come up with broken noses or hurt knees or whatever. There is something that drives you when you believe you're right. When you believe your, your arguments are right. Even more. There's something that drives you. When you know that you're confronting evil. And smear merchants and so forth. And over 20 years here behind this microphone. That's what I've had to do. And Mr. Producer will tell you. It's almost like I'm. Excited? Is that a weird way to put it? Maybe not excited. But geared up and ready. Can I put it that way? And so I want to inform you about it. As soon as we see it or read it, I will inform you about it. And we will confront it and address it. Because I know what's going on here. Several things going on here. But I'll be patient, which I'm often not. But I will be. I'll be and will be. I mean, I'm really kind of stoked. It's very weird. I can't help it. I'm stoked. Battle is battle. Good versus evil. Right versus wrong. And they're evil and they're wrong. And that's the way I see it. Now... Shaquille O'Neal, I like Shaquille O'Neal a lot. I like Charles Barkley a lot. I like Stephen A. Smith a lot. I like a lot of these guys in sports and a lot. A lot of them I don't like. A lot of broadcasters I don't like. Now, why do I like these three guys in particular? Not all the time, but most of the time, they're unpredictable. Now, why are they unpredictable? Because they think for themselves. They have their own experiences. They have their own substance. They have their own you know, viewpoints, and they have the courage to state them. That's why. Jason Whitlock, another guy in sports, or not, I don't know if he's in sports anymore, uh, reporting and so forth, but a good guy. And they'll go against the stream, not to go against the stream, but because they're not in the stream. They're individual human beings. 
with their own attitudes, with their own viewpoints and so forth. And that's good. That's why I say don't judge people. Listen to what they have to say. Now, Shaquille O'Neal, he wasn't mentioning LeBron James by name, but he was kind of asked a question. Well, I guess it was CNBC two days ago. LeBron James is out there whining about the schedule that the NBA put in place, that it's too aggressive, that's why we have injuries, and we need bigger breaks, and we shouldn't be rushing to the playoffs, and and practices that are too close and too long, and he's going on and on. Now, Shaquille O'Neal is listening to all this. Now, he's not calling out LeBron James by name, but he's listening to all this. And James sort of sets the tone for a lot of the other players who come behind him and a lot of the broadcasters who slobber all over him. And Shaquille O'Neal, whose father was in the military, Shaquille O'Neal, who's a big supporter of uh, local law enforcement, just a good guy and a funny guy based on what you can see. So here's what he said last Tuesday on CNBC. Go. We're going to have to make it much louder, Mr. Producer, because I can barely hear it. Let's, let's ratchet it up. Go ahead. We're living in a world where people, 440 million people has been laid off. And I'm making 200 million. You won't get no complaining from me. Hey, if I got to play back to 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 back. And I'm making all that money. I just got to do what the job entitles me to do. I'm not knocking what anybody said, but me personally, I don't, I don't complain or make excuses because real people like you, who really work your tail off, you don't make as much money as we do. And all we got to do is train two hours a day and then play a game two hours a night and we make a lot of money. So my thought process is a little different. He's clearly talking about LeBron James. Because LeBron, LeBron James is making $200 million a year, give or take, with outside income and so forth. Who else? But he has enough respect. He doesn't call him out by name. But everybody knows who he's talking about. And he's saying, look, have some integrity. Have some character. Two hours of practice, two hours of a game, give or take. You're making $200 million a year. If you have to play one game after another, after another, after another, so be it. You don't have to do this. Meanwhile, look around you. Look at all the other Americans who are earning not only a lot less than you, but millions of them out of work. Millions of them that suffered through this virus and weren't getting paid anything. Now, in many ways, he's been more articulate about LeBron James than I have, and not just LeBron James, others who are, quote-unquote, down for the revolution while they're filling their bank accounts with millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I'm not just talking about sports, by the way. And that's why when somebody like Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq says what he says, it's refreshing. You listen to that and you say, my God, somebody has common sense. Somebody's standing up to this. And that's why a lot of people like Charles Barkley. He does the same thing. You don't always have to agree with him. I don't. 
So what? That's not the point. Now, what's the other thing you have to respect about these men? They're up front. They have the courage of their convictions. They can be challenged. They speak out loud. They're not going behind the scenes and backstabbing and whispering and all. No, he says what he believes. It's all over the internet. Barkley says what he believes. It's all over the internet. Stephen A., Whitlock. I'm just picking sports right now, but you can pick other fields too. That's why you respect them. Because they're the same person, the same person who have respect for you. Because you know they're going to have the integrity of, a, of their own viewpoint, whether you agree with it or not. And that they will have the character to present it in such a way that you can disagree with them, agree with them, debate them, or, or whatever. It's a good lesson. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mr. Producer pokes around now and then and he finds some pretty good stuff. He found something that I think will make you smile. A comedian by the name of Randall Otis, an African-American gentleman. He's on the late show last night, that Stephen Colbert show, which is not funny. It's stupid, actually. And he's got that Spock look, doesn't he, Mr. Producer? Oh, yeah. And even Jon Stewart made him look like a fool. All right. But let's take a listen. This is cut 22. Go. They radicalized me when I was real young. Like when I was a kid, they'd read me excerpts from Malcolm X's autobiography before I went to bed. And they had to stop because I started to beat up the white kids on the playground. (laughs) I was like, you know what you did? (laughs) And they're all liberal kids, too. So they're like, ah, we deserve it. Ah. Losers. Like, look, I'm liberal, but, dude, liberals are some of the funniest people on earth. Rich liberals are the best because they're very ashamed of all the money they have. You know? I feel like rich liberals were the ones who created that idea of checking your privilege just to be able to brag openly. Like, yeah, I'm a white, cisgendered, heterosexual male with a lot of family wealth, five cars, private jet, and you know what? 
that's just something I'm going to have to learn to live with. <laughs> we all have our struggles in this life, and this is mine. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. You know, I'm going to play that again before the show ends, Mr. Producer. That's a good, good fun. That is hilarious. And it kind of says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. In my humble opinion. All right, let's see here. Let me pull up the call screen. Should be ready. Full board. Sorry to keep you folks waiting. Uh, let's see. Uh, let us go to Gale. Park Ridge, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Hi. Oh, um, I am so ready to be an activist, and uh, you've taught me how to argue back. Um, well, thank you. I just, I'm trying to express here, you, you are totally correct about what you're doing, and the reason I know is because I, I lived through all this. I'm 69 years old, nurse, and um, they're, the, the Marxists are purposely trying to divide us and cause chaos. You're, you're definitely, that's definitely true. You know, they're, what they're going to do now is, of course, they're going to attack me, my character, and my name. And the other thing they're going to do is try and bring up Joe McCarthy and the Red Scare, because this is all they know. They know platitudes. And I'm ready. And I think I have millions of you behind me. And I oh, stand yeah. behind millions of you. I'm ready. It's Okay. Because we're not going to be intimidated. We're not going to be threatened. Little hit jobs aren't going to matter. It's just not going to matter. And we're going to push back. And the more that they attack, the more they expose themselves. They don't understand you, my audience. They don't understand you, red-blooded Americans, whatever your race. They don't understand where we are at this point in our history. They don't get us. And I don't care. Do you? No. (laughs) They mean nothing to me. All right, my friend. Well, that's very kind of you. I appreciate your call. Dwayne, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. Go right ahead, Dwayne. Good day, Mr. Levin. How are you, sir? Very well. Thank you, Dwayne. Wonderful. Sir, I would just like to speak about um, the way that, that the, the race card is being played regarding mail-out ballots. Mm-hmm. I just feel that indiscriminately mailing out ballots is gives a potential for cheating, and as well as um, it it somehow invalidates the um, the voting process. As far as I'm concerned, I think you're 100 percent right, and I think that's why most of these uh, corrupt Democrats in these corrupt cities and uh, with their corrupt ideology. That's why they're pushing this stuff. They, they don't really want a clean vote. They just want to win, Dwayne. It's just win at all costs. Of course. Of course. It's, it's a power grab. That's all it is. And it's, it's a power grab that's, that's, um, that's, um, that's somehow being disguised as, a, as somehow some, some moral crusade by the left to somehow uplift black people. And once again, they are very comfortable playing the race card in this regard, and I am very happy at the Supreme Court's ruling. Mm-hmm. It, it gives conservatives hope in this country that's rapidly becoming a Marxist state, and all the earmarks are there. They are mm-hmm. they are in academia. They are in 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 in, um, in in 
in the media, they are in, in Hollywood arts, everywhere that you turn to these days, they are in there. And I'm very, very happy that this rule, maybe the other states can piggyback on this. And, and, um, and, 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 and uh, eradicate mm-hmm. this practice. Twain, where are you from originally? Oh, <laughs> you, you pick up on the accent, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm from the Caribbean. I'm from a yeah. small country called Grenada. Well, I remember Grenada. I remember Ronald Reagan liberating Grenada from the communists. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and we all know very well what went on there. Mm-hmm. before it all came to a head. Mm-hmm. And I see certain similarities taking place in this country. And people have to be very careful. They have to wake up and understand that this is something, this insidious practice is something that is well thought of. And mm-hmm. they're going to use a race card, and they're going to use morality, and they're going to use humanity. And we have to, and we have to be aware of it. And you saw it, and you lived through it. Dwayne, I want to thank you very, very much. Very important call. Thank you, my friend. Have you noticed over the course of the last three months or so, people calling in with different accents, people calling in who were from Venezuela, people calling in who are from some communist regime in the old East Bloc, People calling in from parts of Africa, who have come from parts of Africa, people calling in from parts of south of the border, who've escaped these totalitarian regimes, and how they're the biggest cheerleaders for this country, in addition to you patriots out there. If we had an immigration system that works, we would allow more people like this into our country, who love freedom, who want to be here rather than so many people into our country who hate it. That's why you need a serious immigration system. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin Show, where the Reagan Coalition meets every day. Call now, 877-381-3811. All right, I've got other stuff here, but I, uh, one of the things that concerns me, as with all this internal strife, where we're having to battle the 
weak underbelly of the country. China's on the move. China's building more than 100 new missile silos in its western desert, analysts say, according to the Compost. Joby Wark. Now, it's amazing. They need three people to write an article about Trump, but one about communist China. Communist China has begun construction of what independent experts say are more than 100 new silos for intercontinental ballistic missiles in a desert near the northwestern city of Yemen, a building spree that could signal a major expansion of Beijing's nuclear capability. Let me tell you what's going on. They're going to invade Taiwan. They're going to wait until they are in such a position that we dare not, dare not try and stop them. While they're muscling up at record speed, while they're sprinting on steroids all across their various military operations and military platforms. Our military is being undermined by the radical left and the Democrat Party and the President of the United States. Xi, like Putin, see an opportunity. And they are exploiting it. They desperately wanted Biden as President of the United States. They desperately wanted Schumer in charge of the Senate, Pelosi in charge of the House. They desperately wanted a weak Secretary of Defense with weak generals and admirals at the top. And they got what they wanted. And so while our military is going through ideological, psychoanalysis, and indoctrination, the communist Chinese military is arming up. And in a huge way, you can't miss it. You can't miss it. They have no respect for Biden. They have no respect for the Secretary of State, no respect for the Secretary of Defense. Their Navy is expanding at rapid speed. Ours is contracting. The Russians have modernized 88% of their nuclear missiles. We have modernized zero. We're spending our diplomacy on strengthening the Palestinian terrorists, on strengthening the Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran, strengthening Russia by giving them their oil pipeline, and of course strengthening Xi by unilaterally effectively disarming in the face of what he's doing. This is deadly. It is deadly what's happening in our country, with our police, in our cities, in our classrooms, and it is deadly what's happening outside our country. I wanted to write a book on the two wars that we face, but unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, I'd be too involved, and I felt like I needed to focus on what's happening in our country right away. So I wrote American Marxism. But the problem is Marxism period. And the communist Chinese are on the move. They've already destroyed Hong Kong. They destroyed Hong Kong while everybody was dealing with the coronavirus, and we were dealing with the coronavirus because of the Wuhan lab in communist China. 
And Joe Biden is busy chasing shiny objects. He's busy marching to the tune of the Marxists within his own party, the anti-Americans, the anti-Semites within his own party. He lied to the American people about how he's a moderate, how he works with both sides, how he's going to unite the country. But he always lies. That's what he is. He's a liar. So this is very, very serious here. And then he's selling out America and our sovereignty. Wall Street Journal, U.S. wins international backing for global minimum tax. Now, since the vast majority of major international corporations are headquartered in America, since the vast majority of these corporations are American corporations, we now have, quote, officials from 130 countries agree to broad outlines of wider overhaul rules for taxing international companies. So, of course, the rest of the world is going to say, yeah, let's tax them. The U.S. won international backing for a global minimum rate of tax as part of a wider overhaul of the rules for taxing international corporations, a major step towards securing a final agreement on a key element of the Biden administration's domestic plans for revenue raising and spending. So he goes outside the United States. He gets 130 countries. Now, they're not all free countries to agree effectively to have a minimum tax on American companies. Now, this doesn't seem all that constitutional to me. Do we have some kind of treaty in place? These governments now will seek to pass laws ensuring that companies headquartered in their countries pay a minimum tax rate of at least 15% in each of the nations in which they operate, reducing opportunities for tax avoidance. It's our companies that are the target. Our companies. And, of course, the Wall Street Journal news side, which is a joke, Governments lose revenues of between $100 billion and $240 billion. Well, we all know. We all exist for government, don't we? So they're going to double the capital gains tax. And that's on you, too, by the way. They want to raise the corporate income tax to almost 30%. They want to raise individual taxes. They want to raise taxes on your inheritance, should you get any. They want to change the way we calculate the value of a home, a farm, a ranch, a small business that you might inherit when your parents pass so that you'll have to sell it in most cases. Meanwhile, they're spending like drunken Marxists and inflation is taking off. You have inflation taking off, massive taxes that are coming, Massive regulations already being put in place. He wants to increase the IRS personnel by 80,000 agents or so. And by the way, and I know I'm not alone, I paid my federal income taxes on or around April 15th, even though we had an extended period. Two and a half months ago. I'm owed... I am owed money by the IRS, by the federal government. I always pay them more than they're owed. And they haven't paid me yet. Have they paid you? They don't talk about Biden or the media. We need to hire more people to process through the computers these these checks that are owed people. 
They don't ever talk about that. They are hoarding our money. Those of us who pay taxes and those of us who follow the law, they're hoarding our money. And they're holding it back. And that's for a lot of people, not just in my tax bracket, a lot of people who are in the the middle tax bracket or even lower tax brackets. Open your mic, Mr. Producer. You're going on over three months? Correct. Yep. Three months. I can't hear you. Yep. Over three months. Isn't that shocking? I'm unbelievable. You used to get it, what, in two weeks or something? Oh, they took out quickly, though. I owed them a couple of hundred. They took that quick. I have paid them since, even though they owe me money, a fortune in taxes. Quarterly taxes, or if I get some kind of a bulk payment, I immediately pay the tax. Immediately, including to the state of Virginia. That's why I got to get the hell out of here. Got to get the hell out of here. And they owe me money, and they owe you money, they owe Mr. Producer money, they owe millions of people. Millions of people money. They call them rebates. No, it's our money. You're not rebating anything. Give us our money. And it's never discussed. Ever. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. I said I'd do it again, and I am. Randall Otis, comedian on The Late Show last night. The only reason I'm mentioning he's an African-American, because then you understand the hilarity of what he's saying, because he's jumping right into this race issue. And he's on uh, Stephen Colbert's show, and most of this probably went over Stephen Colbert's head. I don't watch him, because he's monotonous. But this is funny. Mr. Producer found it. Cut 22. Go. They radicalized me when I was real young. Like, when I was a kid, they'd read me excerpts from Malcolm X's autobiography before I went to bed. And they had to stop, because I started to beat up the white kids on the playground. <laughs> I was like, you know what you did? <laughs> and they're all liberal kids, too. So they're like, ah, we deserve it, ah! <laughs> Losers. Like, look, I'm liberal, but, dude, liberals are some of the funniest people on earth. Rich liberals are the best because they're very ashamed of all the money they have. You know? I feel like rich liberals were the ones who created that idea of checking your privilege just to be able to brag openly. Like, yeah, 
I'm a white, cisgendered, heterosexual male with a lot of family wealth, five cars, private jet, and you know what? That's just something I'm going to have to learn to live with. We all have our struggles in this life, and this is mine. This guy's hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. All right. Let's see if I can pull up again the uh, calls. There it is. wonder what happened. Let's see. Uh, Chris, Frederick, Maryland, the great WMAL. Chris, go right ahead, please. Mark, thank you for having me on your show. How are you tonight? Okay, you got it, Brent. Good. Hey, I just wanted to say you were talking about the left changing the language. I keep hearing about this anti-racism. Critical race theory goes along with anti-racism. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Martin Luther King teach anti-racism in the 60s when he taught everybody to judge people not by the color of their skin, but the content of their character? Of course, and they don't even like Martin Luther King, and they'll reverse course on that and pretend they do as well. But I have their writings. You're going to read it in American Marxism. They say exactly what they mean there. So the gig is up. And they say they're promoting anti-racism. They're the racists. They're promoting racism. They're undermining diversity in this country. They're undermining assimilation in this country. They're undermining love and peace and how we all embrace each other or try to. Um, And they'll even tell you, we're not talking about the Klan or the neo-Nazis, the white supremacists. We're talking about this white privileged society. And there's no way to get around it. There's just no way to get around it. And so here we are. We're stuck in it. And the only way to to deal with this is to destroy it, as you'll see. And let me ask you this. What about American privilege? I mean, the the poorest people here are richer than everybody else in the whole world. And the poorest people here have every opportunity to to not be poor anymore. All All right, Chris, thank you for your call. Well said. Jason, Las Vegas, Nevada. On the Mark Levin app, Jason, how are you, sir? I'm doing good, Mr. Levin. How are you? Very well, thank you. It's an honor to be talking to you. Thank you. Go right ahead. Uh, I am a, a, I'm a fairly new listener, and I've been listening now for only about five months. Um, I just turned 18, and I, I read Liberty and Tyranny. I thank loved you. it. And I just pre-ordered American Marxism. Wow. Um, my grandfather listens to you, and he's the one that showed me who you are. And it's a good thing he did because my family is full of Democrats all around. So mm-hmm. I just want to thank you for w- what you do, and um, you truly I, are. I, I want to I want to thank you and your grandfather because if you're surrounded by Democrats in your family, it takes extra special effort to be independent and to, and to try and. Uh, operate outside that box and learn on your own. So uh, you're very impressive, Jason. So I want to thank you. Thank you. And, and if it wasn't for you, I don't know, I don't know what, where I'd be right now. So I just want what? to thank you again. Well, I'm sure you'd be a smart young man, a very moral young man, because that's what the way you sound to me. Thank you, Jason. Take care of yourself. We don't have any books to give anybody yet. We're not going to have them until the book comes out. I'm sitting here chopping at the bit like I would have loved to give it to several callers uh, tonight. Uh, but we just don't have it. So uh, what we do have, which isn't a lot, uh, was sent out to a number of our wonderful friends in, uh, at Fox, wonderful friends in uh, conservative media, and on some of our uh, friends that have certain websites. 
uh, I can't even send it to all of our friends. There's just too many, but we're trying to get it out there here and there because we don't have enough. Now, ladies and gentlemen, once again, I tell you this all the time. I want to thank you for being part of this audience. I want to thank you for your patriotism. I want to thank you for the blessing of us being able to join together in this national town hall meeting where we call them like we see them. Free speech, debate, criticism, opinion. That's the nature of talk radio, and that's the nature of this program. Thank you very much. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. I'll see you right here tomorrow. Be safe, and God bless you.